You're listening to You Play A What, a podcast by a musician for musicians. My name is Vincent and I play the euphonium. Join me as I sit down with successful musicians to talk about their specialization, inspirations, and career developments. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode 28 of You Play a What? This week, we return back to our usual interview format after our episode last week on the $4 haircut and the $70 haircut, which is really more about the relationship between price and value. So I hope you will check that out. Moving on to my guest this week. He is the final guest as I wrap up the last of five interviews with composers that I have had the privilege to work with over the last few months. Chen Wei is no stranger to the music scene. He is currently serving his term as composer in residence for the Singapore Chinese Orchestra that goes on until 2022. He co-wrote the book, The Tongue Guide to the Chinese Orchestra, and contributed repertoire that allows us to explore musical origins and culture. In this episode, Chen Wei and I spoke about how he thinks that through music, we can develop an understanding and learn about other cultures with the exchange of musical knowledge and ideas. These interactions could very well be a way to shape culture, society and reduce racist thoughts and behaviour. Chen Wei also shared his experience and perspective as an adjudicator in a music competition and how he believes one could make music competition as a tool to improve your art and how he could have become a computer programmer. Thank you once again for tuning in to You Play A What. If you like what you heard, please share it with someone that you think would enjoy this content as well. Enough from me now. Please enjoy this episode of You Play A What with Chen Wei. My guest today is probably the best example that not all of us started studying music because our grades in school were not good enough. Apart from being a composer and a researcher of music, he speaks around a dozen different languages and plays the same amount of instruments, but I can memorize the name of the five original Power Rangers. Talk about using our brains for things that matters. Welcome to the show, Chen Wei. How are you doing today? Hey, hi Vincent. Hi everybody. Thanks for tuning in and thanks for inviting me to the show. Absolute pleasure. Uh, really looking forward to speaking to you over the next hour or so. I think uh, there's a lot I can uh, learn through our conversation. So uh, first of all, is it still 12 languages and 12 instruments or have you gone on from there? 
Uh, actually, I haven't really been counting. I should say, mm-hmm. okay. Actually, I mean, let's say for languages or instruments for that matter, I don't like to. You, I don't usually just uh drop a number and and say that's it because it depends a lot on on how how much you know about the language or instrument to be able to say that you know that language or instrument. Right, I I mean, if you know like one、yeah. word in the language, you don't consider it as knowing the language. Yeah, but if you know, uh, ten words, hundred words, thousand words, like where do you draw the line? So actually, I would prefer to give a breakdown of uh, you know, uh, there are certain languages that uh that I'm fluent. There are certain languages that I just learn the handwriting. Certain ones that just like you know can guess roughly guess what it means based on my knowledge of on on other languages. So it's actually hard to um define a specific number. Yeah, and same as instruments, you know, like like、mm. um, some of them I can actually play in orchestra, and as others, maybe I just play a C major scale. Yeah, so <laughs> depends also. <laughs> right, I see, I see. Uh, a- anything that you are still sort of looking up at the moment, language wise, any other new things that you've been interested in? Uh, uh, since well, language wise is uh more of uh like a pro on a bio project uh basis. Or or like depends on what I need at the moment. The the uh, latest uh, language I learned was Portuguese. So because last year the Macau Chinese Orchestra commissioned me to compose a piece about Macau, and as we know,、mm. uh, Macau has a、uh, was a Portuguese colony.、Mm. So I went to、uh, research on traditional Portuguese music. So I found there was this、uh, traditional music genre called the fado. Uh, it's spelled as F A D O, like pronounced as fado in Portuguese. Okay.、Um, so, uh, and and uh, a lot of the material on on about the fado is only uh available in Portuguese. Like、mm. if you search for the some things in English, you you don't get the information. And so, for example, I uh when when I search in Portuguese, then I found a website with the scores of uh you know certain uh fado pieces. Which I wouldn't have been able to do in English, and so I had to read、um, some of the information in Portuguese too. I I mean I never actually properly learned、uh, Portuguese, but because of this、um, project, I actually like tried to read up more on Portuguese. Yeah, and would you say like Portuguese is somewhat like maybe Swiss German to German and Portuguese to Spanish, or are they like two very very different things? Um, it is quite similar. So it it belongs to the Romance language, uh, family in the same family as French and Italian and Spanish. So actually, if you know、mm. one of them, you can roughly guess, um, maybe sixty percent of of uh text written in in the other. Hmm. Maybe some of the words you have to check up a dictionary, but then, uh, it's definitely a e much easier to pick up if you know one of the languages. So actually, I I never properly learned Spanish. Also, I I did properly learn French. So French was my third language when I was in secondary school. Uh, from from Span French, I can guess some of Spanish, and from uh Spanish, I can guess some of Portuguese. So that's how it worked for me. Right, right, okay, okay, yeah. Uh, so how has your December been for you so far, and how are things looking going into twenty twenty one? Busy, uh, a little bit more, uh, relaxed. How are things? Um. Yeah. The the my last two weeks, I was an adjudicator for the Singapore Chinese Music Competition. Mm. Uh, heard a lot of performances, and and I think uh the standard was great, and very heartened to see so many people still uh learning Chinese instruments, especially given our uh very predominantly uh English speaking and uh academically 
oriented schooling system. Yeah. Yeah, and and I'm I'm pleased to hear a lot of different uh repertoire also like the solo repertoire. So what was a was a very interesting experience for me. Hmm. And usually for these competitions, the solo repertoire they are all new commissions, right? Or are not, they not in this case? Okay, for the national piano and violin competition, there is a new commission, commission set piece every year. And mm. I, uh, I composed this, uh, but only for the senior and artist category. So I composed the set pieces for the last year's national piano and violin competition. Mm. For the Chinese uh, competition, I, I think uh, it's just that there are not that many um, participants to justify the uh, commission of a new piece. So actually, it really mm. depends. Like um, instruments like guzheng, you can have um, up to... Uh, 35 participants uh, in the junior category alone and mm-hmm. some instruments uh, the senior category might be only uh, three participants or, or in, there might be so few that the whole category is closed i see and uh, so how are things now going to 2021 any sort of exciting projects that you're looking forward to that you can share um yeah so actually my uh Upcoming commissions are for uh, Taiwanese uh, Chinese orchestras because in Taiwan a reopening has been quite success- successful, so it's like fairly back to normal. Uh, mm. With this for Singapore side, it's hard to say because um, we can't really plan a lot in advance. Mm. You know, like a Singapore Chinese orchestra where where I was just uh, recently appointed a uh, composer in residence. Um, yeah. actually, you can't really um plan more than three months in advance. And and mm. because whatever you plan is subject to, uh, you know you know once the uh the directive uh changes, then then maybe you can't hold a concert anymore, or you can suddenly hold the same concert with double the number of people. We we don't really know um what it is. So so you know you can't um actually um have a concert season, and and you can't uh, sell tickets because you know if you sell the tickets very early on, and and then the concert doesn't take place, and it's another problem. So mm-hmm. uh, actually, uh, there's quite a lot of uncertainty uh, surrounding um, uh, concerts in Singapore. Right. Yeah. You also re- recently wrote a book with Teng Company yeah. called The mm-hmm. Teng Guide to the Chinese Orchestra. And I believe you are a big contributor as uh, for this book. So uh, how has it been for you writing uh, a book? Is it your first time doing this sort of uh, publication work? And do you feel like there's additional sort of stress to make sure that the facts that you put out is as accurate as possible? Um, yeah, definitely. So um, this book uh, was uh, initiated by Samuel, uh, the, uh, co- my co-author, uh, hmm. who also contributed his, uh, the full manuscript of his earlier uh, book um, on the same topic and also a cha- chapter on the history of the Chinese orchestra. And... More importantly, he orchestrated the entire publishing process. Okay, pun intended. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. So, uh, um, this is uh the publication is actually a huge uh undertaking, uh hmm. which which I'm fortunate that uh Teng decided to do this with me because I I don't think I will be able to handle uh, the publishing process by myself. You know, like hmm. contacting the publisher and and organizing uh the book launch and this kind of things. Yeah. Um, yeah, and Junyi uh did the uh eighteen analyses on orchestration and uh that is about how instruments work in combination. So um, uh, this is 
uh, uh, rather different from the usual orchestration books you know that talk about that say like um um your uh what the, the flute can combine the oboe and then the flute can combine the clarinet and then the oboe can combine the clarinet um so mm. this is roughly inspired by my uh orchestration professor in vienna so eturo uh, sefsai so so his orchestration uh book is uh the orchestration part of his book uh, is mainly analyses of scores and then uh, you know um, there's a score extract and then we talk about what are the special things to take note of in this extract and uh, what's the learning points and what's the, what are the insights we can take away um yeah so so Juni wrote the analysis um mm. and then I wrote the uh, instrumentation section which uh talks about how instruments work individually okay so we have the instrumentation sec- section on the individual instruments and the uh, orchestration section on the uh, how instruments work in combination uh, right. so that is the whole uh, concept of the book yeah and okay. also edited the work of my co-authors um, so um the uh, okay for me a uh, reliability is extremely important uh, because mm. once we put out a book and people are going to believe it then we have a responsibility to make sure that we disseminate the uh, correct information yeah um yeah and and so every sentence is there has gone through painstaking fact checking mm. um so that means if i uh, for example like uh, if i uh, look up a kujang technique and then there's a symbol for it and then uh, so so i i you know let's say i i see that uh, in the kujang book and then i just wonder um this seems to be a very rare symbol i've never seen it before and so i just for to make sure i go and check out on on three other kujang books and then I find out that they the other books didn't list that symbol, and then then I message uh you know one Guzheng player say uh you know that have you seen this symbol before? Mm. What does it mean to you? And then she says uh, uh no I haven't seen it before. Then oh okay so then, right, then I right. ask the second player and the third player, and then after that I conclude that you know it's uh, maybe uh, only a particular schools of Guzheng playing actually use that symbol, and the rest uh they don't recognize it. So that means I have to explain that in the book. So if you use this symbol, you have to write an explanation that what it's supposed to mean if not um you know it's not a universally used symbol mm-hmm. and so that uh, uh that is uh the amount of detail that has gone through uh that i've uh, been through and sometimes you know it, after spending one hour fact checking one sentence and i decided that uh, you know the um uh, it, it's like a, a quite a disputed thing and then i decide to just remove it from the book so it's one hour i <laughs> just decide to remove the sentence <laughs> yeah yeah I, I can I can imagine uh, you know even with like writing of course I'm comparing this uh, very very different things now um, when I was in school writing essays and stuff like that we have to cite our sources we have to do the proper citations and make sure we fact check what, what we write right so I can't imagine like and that this is no small book right it's like 600 close to 700 pages 624 yeah so yeah so there must be like lots of work uh, in there that uh, you have to just make sure that the uh, facts are properly uh, presented. Uh, yeah. Are there any new discoveries with the team as you guys start to put this book together? It, it, it's, uh, it's not just a, the um, like uh, uh, checking the citations because the, the thing is that the source material sometimes is wrong also. Mm. Unfortunately, uh, yeah. um, you, you know, like... Um, so so you can't just say like you know okay because a particular book said that uh this was the the said this then therefore i cite the book and then i say the same thing 
uh, I, mm. you know, like some, sometimes I look at the source material, then I say, okay, this is very questionable. And then I have to ask the actual performers to say, okay, is, is this really like this? And then maybe I end up with a different answer. And then, then I say, okay, so actually I can't, um, you know, quote the source. I have to, um, you know, um, establish a new new statement and, and support it with the, the arguments. So I think that is uh, probably what uh, the this book uh, contributes. Uh, in fact, when mm. I when I wrote the instrumentation section, um, I didn't refer to the uh, any of the existing uh, instrumentation books. Oh, that that were published in Chinese. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So ours is the first uh, like a comprehensive guide in in English. Mm. Yeah. So a lot of it comes from my personal experience as a composer and working with musicians. Right. Um, and what I seek to do is to, I, I, I come from a composer's perspective and I think if somebody were to write for Chinese orchestra, what are the things that he or she needs to know? And mm. what are the things he, and she, she or he or she needs to consider? Uh, and, and, and what are the things that um, will affect uh, what, uh, the decisions on what notes to pen down? And so uh, it is a very uh, practically uh, oriented book. Mm, I see. Okay. If you were to say that uh, there is one thing, right? If you can just like nail it down to one thing that the reader, by at the end of reading this book, what do you hope that they get out of it? I, I, I think that isn't a really a single most important thing. Uh, it depends on what you are looking for, actually. Like, you know, are, are you looking to compose for uh, Chinese instruments or are you like a conductor maybe who wants to understand how the instrument works? And so actually it differs, uh, depends on like, like what your objective is and, and mm. what are you doing with uh, Chinese instruments or Chinese music. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Right. So, and now let's go a little bit into uh, your own life. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, could you just... Uh, tell us a little bit about your entire uh, musical journey and how you got acquainted with music and how has your career developed so far? Um, okay, so my, my first contact with music was like um, uh, tinkling with a toy electronic keyboard that I received as a birthday present when I was age six. Mm. Um, yeah, so... Uh, you know, like uh, many uh, tiger moms, they will send their uh, children to, <laughs> to learn music at the uh, age of four or something like that. Uh, usually, mm. the viol uh, piano and violin are the top two suspects. Yeah, uh, the prime so, age uh, for, for grooming talent, yeah. supposedly. Right. So, because my, yeah. my family is not, uh, they, they, they uh, don't, nobody in my family plays a, a musical instrument, so they didn't think about sending me for music lessons. Uh, so mm. basically, I just tinkled on the keyboard, and then uh, at some point, I got a bigger keyboard, uh, uh like you know, with different uh kind of uh sounds, um, and and so um, I I, uh, then I used uh, uh you know, tinkled with more more complex uh melodies, and then um, at some point, then my parents say, okay, may maybe I should try out uh you know piano lessons. So mm. that was around about age 10 already, so quite late by Tiger Mom standards. <laughs> <Of course. laughs> um, yeah, and then I also like, uh, started tinkling uh, simple pieces on the piano. Um, and then at age uh, 13, uh, I uh, went to a concert, a piano concert, and then uh, there I uh, met uh, Mr. Tan Chan Boon, uh, who um, was introduced as a Singaporean composer, and then so I just um, uh, asked whether I could uh, 
you know, study composition with him. Yeah, and mm. so uh, that's when I actually started learning the proper um, composition techniques, you know, starting from uh, harmony and counterpoint um, analysis, etc. Um, mm. So so from from there, then then uh, I could uh, compose like you know more uh, presentable works. Yeah. Let me just like stop you there for a minute, right? Before you 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 carry on. So at that point of time when you're thirteen, how did you come up with this uh, idea that you wanted to study composition? And what was it about music or composition that sort of like had it uh piqued an interest in you? Um, actually, at the time, I didn't think I would be doing music professionally. Mm. Okay, when I was in sec two, actually, I was very interested in computer programming. Okay. Yeah, and then um so uh so so actually like that time I I uh program a few um like a uh, web browser games you know like uh, one that um has a cannon shooting aeroplanes and another one that is like a uh, uh navigating a maze and then another one that is like uh, uh, Chinese chess or, or you know okay uh, is it those Java games kind of thing yeah oh, um sort of. Actually, at, at the time, I, I used a, a more primitive uh, language, which is uh, JavaScript. Uh, because uh. the the, the uh, good thing about JavaScript is that you don't need to compile it. Uh, co- compile is a, a term which means that you need a, a program to run through the code and then generate a, like an execu- executable uh, file. So JavaScript mm. is like you just open it in uh, any web browser and it will run. And of course, uh. there, there are a lot more limitations as compared to a... a like a writing in a uh, you know proper language like C plus plus or or Java. Okay, I mm-hmm. I did uh, also program in C plus plus, but that time uh the um that the the what the school taught was actually uh C plus plus or DOS, but but you know in, in my childhood uh, before there was Windows there was DOS uh which stands for this operating system. Okay. Uh, yeah, and and so uh at that time uh uh this this uh RI had this um like uh. A computing program and, and I I don't know why they taught C plus plus or DOS uh, and then uh which uh, of course you know after learning it and I program something in DOS and, and now it doesn't uh I don't think it will run anymore because that that operating system is already like uh, long obsolete. Uh, mm, yeah, okay. so, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Then I did uh, Visual Basic too, but but uh then I didn't didn't like that uh language. I feel that it's uh, it is rather cumbersome to use, so so I didn't like to program in Visual Basic. Okay, but anyways, mm. um, so at that time I was actually interested in uh computer programming. Then I thought maybe I'll become a programmer one day, uh, mm. and then um, I I think probably what led me to uh choose music instead was um okay I, I remember what at one point I was thinking you know it was very tiring to be doing programming because I had to sit in front of the computer for many hours, you know, to debug the the program. So debug means like if something doesn't work, you have to run through like a few hundred lines or thousands of lines of code to see where the uh, problem lies. Um, and, mm. and then I thought it was very tiring. And, and so I thought, you know, maybe I should uh, pre- I'll prefer music uh, so that at least that is, uh, you know, uh, that then uh, that I would be uh, sitting less in front of the computer, and uh, guess what? The opposite happens. <laughs> <laughs> sitting in front of the, computer, the irony, yeah, right, <laughs> composing yeah. uh music. Uh, yeah, okay. So, so I think maybe one one part of the encouragement came from the uh Chinese orchestra, uh, which mm. I was posted to in secondary school. Um, 
so actually, actually at the time I was wasn't the uh, didn't have any particular interest for Chinese music. So we just uh, had to fill in a form. So I, I remember the first choice I filled in was guitar, and the second was uh Chinese orchestra. So under the music category, uh, but mm. you have to fill in a sports category and the uniform group and the music uh too, uh and oh, so okay. so um yeah you have to, I remember the sports you have to fill in four choices and then uh two choices under music uniform group and two choices under the music so so i filled in guitar and chinese orchestra so i got the uh chinese orchestra uh, mm. and and so actually i, I just uh, went in without knowing what to uh ex- expect and that was actually my first uh contact with uh chinese music okay um, i tried the hand at, at uh composing a, a piece for the uh, RI Chinese Orchestra and also uh, tried a hand at conducting too um, and then um, yeah so I, I think that uh, sparked my uh, interest in the uh, composition uh, side and also um, then then eventually in, in, in J2 uh, when I was in junior college uh, uh, second year I uh, there was this um, a composition competition by the Singapore Chinese Orchestra uh, mm. which specifically called for music in a Nanyang flavor. And so um, that's when I composed my first like uh, major uh, orchestral work called The Sisters Islands, uh, mm-hmm. which I got this uh, um, Singapore Composer Award. And so yep. actually, I think that led me to uh, um, seriously consider music as a career. And uh, it's really interesting for me because I am... You know, since your early days uh, when you started learning the keyboard and the piano, were there any part of you that thought to yourself, I'm doing this because my parents made me do it, I'm, I'm not that interested, but or do you actually find joy in sort of like going for your lessons and practicing and just playing on the piano? Oh, I, I think it was more like uh, I, I was... Uh, playing on the piano and composing this my, my parents uh, asked me not to spend too much time on it <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah, yeah. Okay. so you you had this kind of like uh, you're drawn to music uh, for some reason uh, yeah, yes I, I, I was yeah and at like you said is it initially because you wanted uh, sort of time off the, the computer and stuff like that and you thought this was a nice sort of alternative uh, creative output lah is that some sort of like your thought process or was it you didn't think so much and you just decided to yeah, yeah spend I, time on I it? I like to I like to compose when I was young and so uh uh you know I, I just uh like tinkled stuff on the piano and then wrote them down and I felt very happy with them and I think that was about it. Playing wise, uh probably not so much. So actually I mean uh, around the um uh, uh the time I did, uh, I I uh, thought of doing music professionally. Um, I, I already know that I won't uh, be a concert performer because um, uh, you know you need to practice like a, a, a six or eight hours a day, and and I don't have that kind of patience for for a single instrument. Mm. You know, I, I mean, I, I I would be interested to spend that time maybe on music in general, or maybe on composition, or uh, and with some uh practicing of instruments, but I wouldn't want to be uh, just sitting down at the piano for, for six hours or eight hours a day just practicing piano. Um, mm-hmm. I understand. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so uh, of, of course then this 
uh, the Sisters Island and the, and the competition really sort of like pushed your, your career up to uh, a new level. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that a little bit later and investigate sort of your, your process leading towards the competition. Okay, so uh, so obviously now after that, your lives has changed. All of a sudden, you get um, to be under the spotlight a little bit more. And at that point of time, after you finish uh, junior college, uh, how do you decide what to do for the next step of your uh, career or your learning and education? Um, okay, so actually, uh, at that point of in time, I uh, the the first uh university study that I signed up for actually wasn't composition but audio engineering, mm. um, and that was in Vienna. Okay, so so be, before that, um, actually, uh, when I was graduate graduating from JC, then I was thinking, so where will I be heading for my studies and have uh, two years of NS to you know, like, uh, like, uh, prepare for it. Yeah. So, so previously I learned French as my third language, uh, and I actually researched on, um, education options in the French speaking universities. And then I found that were, were not that many, um, uh, uh, choices. No, I mm. mean, there are like a prestigious ones like, um, Conservatoire National de Paris, but, but mm. I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I think I, I can't be just counting on, on, uh, one or two. So, um, I, uh, looked into the German-speaking uh, region, so that includes Germany, Austria, and uh, a large part of Switzerland. And mm. then I thought there was like a, you know a lot more options, you know. And, and so, um, I then uh, learned German from scratch after graduating from JC. Right. Yeah, and for, with the specific intention of um, uh, auditioning for a German-speaking university. Mm. And the the reason is that um that. Um, the tuition fees are very low in the German-speaking uh, region and actually the French right. region also. So we are talking mm. about something like uh, 500 euros to 1,000 euros per semester. Yes. Uh, mm. As compared to English-speaking universities, which uh, have very high fees and of mm. course they can afford to charge the high fees because it's uh, just a simple supply and demand uh, uh, you know, e equation. Yeah, and uh, I can tell you that from experience, it's absolutely <laughs> true. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And and so um, I'm thinking, you know, uh, um, the the, the I don't think the quality of education it would be uh any worse. Uh, I mean, in the in a non English speaking university versus an English speaking university, and so I think you know uh, rather than paying the higher tuition fees, I might as well um uh, you know learn the language so that I can. Uh, enjoy the uh, lower tuition fees and then also it's an uh, experience that is different from most other Singaporeans who, who studies in the uh, who, who study in the UK, US or Australia which are the mm. top destinations uh, mm. so mm. Uh, so actually the, because at the time I was also um, interested in uh, like you know uh, physics and computing and so I, I thought this uh, audio engineering will be uh, the uh, uh, something that can uh has a uh, would be something different from what I can you know learn through a private lessons and also um is a uh, uh would uh, involve uh, my interest in science also mm. um okay yeah so that's why I I auditioned for for audio engineering uh, and that's why I landed up ended up in Vienna okay um, yeah yeah okay so also I applied for the media development authorities uh scholarship. Uh, mm. for for this uh, course 
in, in the audio engineering studies is like uh, in the in the German um tradition, uh, we they call it a tone meister, which literally means a uh, sound master. So tone mm. is, uh sound meister is master. It is a very uh, a musically um oriented kind of uh training. So it's not like you know uh, with sound engineering we just learn how the circuits work and connect the cables. Uh, you actually need to go for the same lessons as the composing and conducting students. That means you have mm. to learn harmony. You have to uh, uh learn uh, an analysis. You have to uh write a fugue. Uh, you know for an exam. Um. So, ah, okay. uh, that that means uh a tone master actually doesn't just like you know s- put the mic stand and record the music. It um a tone master actually does a a analytical role and some something like a a background conductor uh, with uh, respect to the uh, music being recorded. I see. So, okay. You know, uh, so for example, like, uh, um, you know, if you were to play a, a, a quartet, let's say, you know, a cold quartet, and, and then when you play mm. a piece, I'll be, uh, the tone master will be uh, reading the score, and then uh, some parts, if any part is, uh, you know, went out of tune or there was a glitch or it was not together, etc., then you will circle, 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 and then after I say, okay, so now we need to retake this and this and that part. Um, and then, uh, so so that is the, the recording process. The uh, Tom Meister has uh, uh, an active role in uh, mm. looking out for all these things for the player, you know, as opposed to a technician who would just say, okay, I will record, and then you tell me when to stop and you tell me when you want to uh, do another take. Um, I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, right. uh, the, the, and, and to do that, of course, you need to know um the uh, musical uh, analysis, like you know how how is the piece is supposed to 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 go, um, and then of course in editing the music, you also need to be uh know the, uh be able to analyze the piece and say okay, this is uh the main melody that's a counterpoint, and then uh this part there's a modulation, and that part is the recapitulation, and then you know how uh, and how how are you going to balance the piece. Uh, you know, or, or like even uh, making uh, edits, you know, let's say you, it, there, there was some part you need to um, uh, overdub a, a passage that has, uh, has a lot of rubato, then uh, you actually need the, mm. to feel the rubato to be able to edit that section correctly such that the edited uh, tracks uh, uh, has a correct rubato feel, for example. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Okay. So because of this uh, shared lessons that I thought that, you know, why not I just sign up for the composition course also because, you know, I, I figured I can like, uh, you know, use a lot of the tone master lessons to uh, count for the composition course. And so that's mm. why, uh, that's, uh, that's why actually I auditioned for composition uh, uh, on my second year. Um, and, and it's not like a, a, like a classical double degree kind of thing, but you're half of one and half of the other. So in uh, Vienna, it's like uh, it's just uh, each course is a course by itself, and and then uh, if you can fulfill all the uh modules in each uh, in one course, then you just graduate in one. If you um yeah, and and then it's mm-hmm. up to you to figure out how 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 to uh uh you know uh, how to uh which modules to go for etc. Mm, um, right. Yeah. So I sign up for composition, and actually there's a uh, one good thing about the composition program at my university is that um, you have a choice of specialization in the third year and one of it is composition for media and applied music mm, so okay. it pertains to things like you know film music uh, jazz uh, pop and and so i was actually quite uh, interested in in that 
region because it uh, involves a lot of uh, tone meister like uh stuff also uh you know like music production and uh, media sequencing uh and so like uh, actually uh, in in uh, around around my third year i uh fully focus on the uh composition uh, uh aspect and so actually uh i graduated in uh composition yeah mm, i see okay uh when, when you after you moved back to singapore how was it like for you and was it like easy for you to sort of settle back in again uh, with your previous contacts and have you engaged yourself in any sort of like Tonmeister work uh, since you've returned to Singapore actually? I think the point about previous contacts is important because um, uh, at that time I didn't realize how important it was. Okay, so previous contacts meaning like previously what I did for Chinese orchestra and mm. uh, uh, you, you know when I started composing for Chinese orchestra it's just out of uh, for fun. And then, uh, then gradually, you know, that some ensembles uh, here and there were saying that, hey, you can compose and arrange. Why not you compose and arrange for us? You know, so uh, that's what I did. Uh, and then during my studies in Vienna, I got uh, more and more um, commissions for compositions and arrangements for Chinese orchestras, and including like professional ones like the Taipei Chinese Orchestra. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, which is also yet another reason why I decided to like focus on the composition uh, so so as I said, I graduated in composition for media and applied music, and then so, uh, with a magister artium, which is uh equivalent to a master's degree, and so I thought, mm. uh, so you know, probably I I'm now the most uh highly uh qualified, uh me- media composer amongst uh, Singaporeans at the point when when I uh, graduated, yeah. uh, but the irony is actually I I never got a single. Uh, job related to media composition. Mm, okay. Yeah. And then uh, that's when I realized actually um, for composition, um, what kind of jobs you get and whether you get uh, certain jobs depends a lot on your ecosystem. Mm, for yeah. sure. If you are not in the film uh, and uh, uh, visual media ecosystem and that means like no, no film directors know you or, or no, nobody there thinks will think of you if they need a piece, uh, then you won't get any jobs in that area. Mm. Okay, actually, you know, I went for a networking session organized by the Media Development Authority. And mm-hmm. so I, um, uh, you know, uh, there, there, there were a lot of like, you know, film uh, directors uh, uh, there. And then I tried to talk to them, you know, and I showed them my uh, works and sent them my links also. I realized actually that they are not mostly not uh, interested because uh, when when they are um uh, at a certain level in their career, they probably have um uh, already have uh trusted uh collaboration partners in terms of music. Yes. Yeah, and so uh the actually the only time you can uh um uh, uh or, or let's say let's put it this way. So if you look at the collaborations between uh, uh directors and composers, usually they started out when they were both students or like you know uh just starting out mm. and, and yes. then probably uh, neither of them had much fame or, or, or money uh, yeah and and and, and then, you grow together yeah they grow together and and that's the mm. relationship and you know it, it doesn't work uh in the it, it doesn't work like a job application like you know you they do uh, the the film director like puts out an advertisement on the straits times classified ads and then you a composer go and apply for it and send in your cv it doesn't work that way mm-hmm. uh, yeah and, and so um actually uh this is uh, for composition, that is uh, um, the main source of your 
jobs would actually be uh your community your and your ecosystem uh mm. ecosystem meaning who would think of asking you to compose something if they want to have a piece yeah definitely yeah, yeah. and i think uh, you brought up some really really good points i think this applies for performers as well that when you have a product meaning if you play a certain type of music, you need to be approaching the right people to uh, <laughs> sell your products, right? If you are selling it to the wrong people who are not very interested, then yeah, you kind of like, yeah, you, you knock on the wrong doors. Because at the end of the day, I think sometimes uh, the music that we play might not be for everybody and not everybody would find what you uh, produce suitable. Mm-hmm. And if it's not, it's okay. You just need to find the right people that would think that your music resonates with them or, yeah, like you say, the correct ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah, which is uh, important. Otherwise, we waste a lot of time feeling bad for ourselves uh, <laughs> without getting a lot done. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. So uh, you, you mentioned as well that you picked up uh, German because you had considered moving there to study. Uh, I'm moving to Austria to study and you require uh, there's a language requirement there. And I think this is a very common relationship that music students have with uh, learning and picking up a foreign language. Right? So uh, when you moved to uh, Vienna, I believe that you were probably the only Singaporean or were there other Singaporeans with you? Um, when I went there, I was the only... Uh, the only one in my university, mm. uh, and I la- later uh met two other students like by chance, yeah, who are Singaporeans, uh. yeah, but they were not at my uh university. Um, and then um, uh, yeah, and actually uh, it was quite hard to. Uh, I mean, it took me a long time to find other Singaporeans there actually. Hmm. Um, eventually I found found a Facebook group that's when I got to know the other Singaporeans but before the Facebook group like I didn't know like who else uh, was from Singapore uh, in, in Vienna I mean not just in music but uh, working anywhere because it, yeah. it's a rather uncommon destination for Singaporeans mm, for sure definitely yeah. and yeah so these are the the advantages of being on Facebook, right? You have all these yeah. little little groups that can bring people together. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, of course, we, we know that it, when we learn a new language to go to a new university in a different country to study, uh, it w- it's going to help us in our classes. It's going to help us with our academics. Uh, how important is it for us to be able to converse in this new language with people that are out of the university, say for your day-to-day lives when you are visiting the supermarket, you're going to a restaurant to order food. And have you seen other of your schoolmates that don't particularly speak German really struggle with um, things like that and get a different treatment because of that? Um, I think if you're a tourist, you can get around with English quite okay. Uh, mm. because firstly you'll probably be um, mostly going to the uh touristy areas, uh, mm. where, where where people will speak English, um, with regards to uh daily lives, um, it depends. Uh, so for example, uh, this um, uh, uh, if you are doing any uh kind of official application, you know, let's say for a visa, 
and uh, if your German is not good, it can be quite can can be quite a hassle. So mm. uh, the documents are, are all all in German, and it's um like a very official uh, kind of German, you know. So it's not like the uh, uh the German you have in in your music studies. Um, you know, there's some some uh like uh, you know legal terms that that uh, are phrased uh, quite differently from the normal German that that you will speak casually. Uh, ah, okay. Yeah. So uh. And and also that uh, this uh in Singapore or, or in the English speaking countries actually we tend to assume that English is a universal language, which actually uh if you go to Europe then you'll see that the the diversity there so it is uh, certainly the most uh universal language in continental Europe, but actually uh, not uh all um uh continental Europeans actually learn English as a second language. So their second mm. language could be French or German, for example. Yeah. Yeah. So so actually, you know, for example, I went to Bratislava and asked uh, for bus directions from a, a driver in English, and then she just replied me in in German. Oh, but yeah. they they could understand what you so, were so, asking um, them, but they. Yeah, I I I think I was trying to pronounce the name of the place in in Slovakian. Ah <laughs> uh-huh, okay. And then um yeah so so he hesitated for a moment. I think he was trying to. Uh, think of how to reply me in English, but then he just replied me in German, and I said, "Okay, I, I understand it." So, so that that was it. Uh, um, yeah. Mm. So, so that means you know, it's not like uh, uh, English is not not as universal as uh as uh English speakers uh would uh like to believe. <laughs> when uh, I was living in the UK, I think this is something that um the the Brits also struggle with, because. Mm usually they don't learn a second language so they just feel like uh, <laughs> yeah they can just take english and then they can go anywhere around europe and people will understand them and of course if you go to like i said if you go to the touristy places you're probably okay uh, but yeah if you go to if you live there then of course it's a completely different thing mm. yeah um good so you know i think with your sort of a skill set as a musician right if i were to uh put a, a venn diagram that's similar to social life time and sleep right uh if i replace all these three elements with composition ethnomusicology and sound engineering you fit right in the middle right in that sweet spot so um what is your your kind of at, at this current state of your career what is your relationship with these three roles um, okay, with regards to ethnic music, I'm mainly interested in elements that uh, can be used in my compositions. So, uh, uh, for example, ethnomusicology, it has a lot of, um, pertains a lot to uh, things like social factors, like uh, uh, people's mm. lives, uh, philosophies, uh, etc. Uh, mm. And, and uh, I'm primarily um, interested in, in things that, that can be used in my composition. So from the uh, music uh, aspect and, and then... Um, uh, I won't go extensively into like social uh, factors, um, mm. and um, I I'm not seeking to uh, replicate uh music of an uh, of a specific ethnicity either, uh you know so for example I don't aim to compose an Indian style piece as if it were written by a musician from India and uh, because if that were the case then we might as well get an Indian to compose it, um, yeah. So m- with my diverse background uh backgrounds. Uh, and the composition uh, training one I seek to create is actually hybrids. So like, you know, Chinese plus Malay or Indian plus Western. And, uh, and then it's like how an Indian mom and a Chinese dad gives birth to a child who bears both 
Indian and Chinese characteristics, but is neither classifiable as Indian or Chinese. Mm. I think that is the actually the most um in, in terms of musical uh fusion that is the uh, highest level uh, form of uh, fusion. Right. The most of the quite a lot of the fusion uh okay because the you know the term fusion is quite uh overused and and for a a wide variety of things. Um, mm. A lot of the fusion we see uh, is uh, fusion in terms of a presentation. So, uh, you know, for example, uh, that uh, uh, it can be a cross-cultural performance. Let's say, you know, Chinese instruments perform Rasa Sayang, yeah. a Malay, Malay song. Uh, mm. Or it can be a multicultural combination. So, you know, it's like, uh, let's say you have a Chinese musician, Malay musician, Indian musician, and Eurasian, and then they wear the traditional costumes and take the traditional instruments and perform Rasa Sayang together. Mm. And and then you know then then uh, uh a lot of lay uh, uh uh like music lovers would look at this and say uh, so, wow that's a amazing display of CMIO, <laughs> the, <laughs> CMIO. yeah so so the, yeah you, you hit the the KPI for the yeah, year yes, right correct. check the, and then the, yeah <laughs> racial racial harmony um yeah. so um uh, but but then of course we, we have to recognize that uh the um. The, the perception of uh, lay people is that will definitely be superficial uh, mm. because you, you know you don't don't expect somebody who, who has no knowledge of music to be anal- able to analyze you know okay that was a uh, Indian raga and that was a uh, what a Malay rhythm and that was a uh, you know Chinese a makam or whatever uh, yeah yeah so mm. um uh, of course the 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 initial um approach of most people would be like, you know, seeing something like this, a multicultural uh, presentation. And, and I think it's the work of, uh, the job of uh, artists to actually guide the uh, audience uh, deeper into the finer um, details. You know, so uh, we are talking about fusion in terms of uh, content. You know, that, that means that regardless of who's play, what's the race of the musician playing the instrument, we are talking about the music itself. Uh, does it, uh, for example, it combines characters of characteristics of Indian and Chinese music or uh, Western music, and this has mm. uh, been a topic that I've been working on since uh, uh, two two thousand nine at least. So uh, that that mm. was my, my first like uh, this kind of uh, uh, hybrid piece I composed is uh, titled Confluence, uh, mm. which is also uh, represents um, CMIO in the sense that is Chinese instruments playing. Um, uh, musical uh, with uh, musical elements from the uh, Indian and the Malay archipelago um, and then with uh, Western composition techniques with of counterpoint and fugue. So uh, mm. that was my first attempt at creating a, a hybrid uh, piece. Yeah, and, and so this is not just like, uh, you know, saying that, okay, we, we just do that and we create a, a artistic music work that is very artas and, and, and then no, nobody, uh, uh, and you know, just for a small uh, uh, audience. I, I think it's, uh, it also um, affects, um, has, has a real uh, social impact. And that is mm. because a lot of social problems are caused by uh, superficiality. Mm. For example, racism. Yeah. yeah, racism is basically the superficial um, uh, notion that, uh, you know, somebody's uh, genetic makeup uh, determines the person's uh, character or, or um, mm. social economic background or something like that. Yeah, or superiority and all these sort of labels that we put onto 
Yeah, exactly. Yes. And so people with the background. Yeah. Yeah, and so so imagine if if it's uh somebody or and we take anybody and and who has uh let's say uh any uh um for example any Chinese who and and, and then we uh then she actually goes to learn uh Indian music from a, a guru and, and then actually uh, mm-hmm. learns to play let's say for example uh, one a sitar or something like that just a few simple melodies. I think even something like that uh, with something like that he will never be a racist against Indians uh, ever because uh, when, when he actually has uh, uh, some uh, understanding of, of the other culture, then, then, then he was, will not uh, uh, judge people by superficial uh, characteristics. Mm. Yeah, and, and by extension, I mean like he probably wouldn't be racist towards any other race either because, uh, because he has uh, gone through his, out of his own comfort zone to understand another culture and then by extension you know he'll be assuming that okay so uh you know uh foreign cultures no matter which culture they are diverse and they have their rich traditions and uh we can't just uh you know look at people's appearance and and, and judge them mm. so uh i and i think that that is um the the, the music that that we do uh, actually do have um uh, will will actually have a, a social uh impact. You know, it's not just like creating something that to delight the ears and 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 then that's uh and enjoy and that's it. So, uh, um, I think it is uh um in this aspect, I think it's an essential uh kind of uh work that that uh musicians do. Mm, yeah, and I think you know when we fuse together. Um, this music of different cultures, what it also encourages us to do is to develop a certain kind of understanding for that culture. And uh, as we dig a little bit deeper into these things, we start to understand, uh, perhaps uh, be able to explain certain sort of uh, behavior that we didn't quite was uh, able to comprehend beforehand. And all of a sudden, it might make a little bit uh, more sense to us. But I think, yeah, at the end of the day, for us to um, get rid of um, things like racism, it all comes down to this sort of learning and educating ourselves about these different cultures, right? Mm-hmm. And I think music is a, is a great way for us to ask ourselves some questions and uh, a good um, way into educating ourselves about different cultures, definitely. Mm-hmm. Let's let's talk a little bit about how you've been a panel of uh, adjudicators recently, okay? And uh, feel free to answer this question or not. At you as a jury, how do you listen to something and how do you quantify something that is subjective and something that is not subjective? So what I mean by that is, for example, the general quality of playing, musicianship, and, uh, you know, whether the uh, the... Uh, musician is playing with good technique and good sound or not, in a way, these are not subjective, right? So the basic things as such are not subjective. Things like musicality and the way they phrase certain things, that can be subjective. So as an adjudicator, do you struggle uh, or how do you sort of like draw this line between what is subjective and what is not? Uh, I've been thinking of of pondering over this topic for... um probably at least 10 years. Um, mm. So even before I ever uh, came close to adjudicating anything, um, 
uh, you know, when, when I was much younger, I would uh, go to SYF, um, uh, the Singapore Youth Festival. Uh, um, uh, that that time was called the Central Judging. Yeah, yes, now it's called the yeah. uh, Arts Presentation. So <laughs> yeah, uh, um, yeah. I, I've got thoughts about that, but that's a topic for another day. <laughs> okay. <right? laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so I went to watch the SYF and also like uh, you know the the that the uh, National Chinese Music Competition at that time. Um, mm. and, and then when I went to watch the, these, uh, competitive events, I would actually, um, uh, uh, give scores on my own, um, mm, that, okay. that means, you know, uh, not in the capacity of like, uh, educated by as an audience member, I would think, okay, so how do I, uh, give a score to this, give a score to these performances? And that actually is, mm. um forces me to analyze, uh, you know, what is good or bad about a performance. And then also think about how uh, can something so subjective like music be quantified in terms of numbers. Mm, exactly. Yeah. And uh, now, um, like in recent years, this has been a topic very close to my work because um, because I, when I'm teaching in NIE, I have to give uh, grades to students, you know, for uh, uh, their compositions and then uh, at uh, Teng, uh, we also uh, run uh, Chinese uh, music instrumental grading exams. And mm. so uh, this is actually something, uh, so quantifying a musical achievement is actually a very difficult thing. We can try our best to uh, be comprehensive and uh, have a, a, you know, a rigorous set of rubrics to uh, reduce the, like the, you know, the, the, the potential for deviation. Uh, but mm. Ultimately, it's still up to uh, the uh, examiner's uh, personal discretion. Yes. So, um, actually, uh, I, I would say, you know, in a competition, um, uh, you just have to look, uh, take it for what it is. So, for example, if you participated in a euphonium competition, so and there were 10 con- contestants and each played for 10 minutes in front of uh, five adjudicators, Mm. Uh, then then that's what it is so that th- it was uh five adjudicators like listening to a snapshot 10 minute snapshots of uh 10 minute uh, 10 contestants and they gave a ranking mm. and so that that's what it is uh, i mean if you uh, do can you draw the conclusion that the first prize winner is better than the second and that's better than the third uh maybe but but you don't uh, really know uh, for sure because maybe uh, if uh the piece the set piece was different, uh, then maybe the, the ranking will be different because, uh, you know, uh, let's say uh, uh, one uh, one piece uh, uh, emphasizes technique, the other piece emphasizes musicality. So uh, yeah. for the piece that emphasizes uh, technique, so if one musician is strong, stronger in technique and weaker in musicality, the other musician is stronger in musicality and weaker in technique, depending on which yeah. piece they are, they are playing, then maybe the ranking will be different. Or maybe it, mm. there, it was a different... Uh, uh, Group of group of adjudicators, the ranking would be uh, different again. Uh, yeah, you know, so for sure. um, you, you can that that means that means we can have uh competitions and we can have ranking also, but you just have to uh look at it for what it is. So uh uh, it's not uh in any way a judgment of the the players uh uh potential. Mm. And I can tell you a story of uh, a competition that I tried to participate in when I was studying composition in Vienna. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, this also I just found found out about this uh, competition, and and then I told my pro- composition professor, uh, yeah, you know, I want to submit my work for this competition, and then so he, 
asked, uh, so who's in the jury? Uh, then then I said, uh, I, I haven't read about it. You know, is that important? I said, yeah, of course it's important. So, so we went on the spot, we went to look for um, who's in the jury and then he commented on, on each of the uh, jury members. And then he said, so, uh, you know, if you look at the jury members, you know uh, that what kind of uh, piece, uh, what kind of music and aesthetic they are uh, expecting. And mm. uh, it, your kind of piece, I mean, forgive me for saying, but your kind of uh, piece uh, wouldn't even get a second look. And then he took mm. out a, a, a super complicated score from his uh, shelf and said, you know, this if your piece looks like this, then maybe it would be put in the pile for, uh, you know, later consideration. Uh, mm. And then he said, okay, but fine, you can, uh, you know, submit your work, but uh, uh, you shouldn't be expecting to win anything. And, and if you don't... Uh, it's not any judgment of your your compositional ability, yeah. So, mm. uh, then 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 I thought, okay, yeah. So that that is um, with uh something like a composition competition, it's even more um dependent on on what the competition is actually uh expecting because there are so many kinds of ways to compose. You know, it's like you want to put a Bach and Beethoven and Schoenberg in a, a composition competition. Yeah. How how are you going mm. to even compare them? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so so um um we we just have to uh, see like you know what's the uh, look at each competition is is in its in its own context, and I mm. think more more importantly that what the competition is achieving is not to judge people but to uh give a boost to the ecosystem. So that mm. means like you know if you have a euphonium competition, then it encourages people to uh, practice euphonium. Yeah. Um, and then uh, no matter who wins the first or second prize, the we can say that the competition will cause the overall standard of euphonium playing to increase because mm. uh, you know everybody has a, a target to uh, you know work towards. For uh, sure. Yeah, and and also for uh, each musician, uh, one also should think about um, what does the competition give? Uh, what will the competition bring you? Mm. So, for example, uh, uh, in term, let's if I speak for composition, um, uh, there are some uh competitions who are, which are organized organized by ensembles that um, uh, uh, for example, uh, who specialize in contemporary music and they are looking for um talent who can compose in that kind of uh, style that they uh require, and mm. then uh, if you are participating in that competition, so actually your intention would probably to. Uh, land commissions uh, in with that kind of ensembles or in that kind of uh, musical style mm-hmm. and if you are not looking for uh, to to uh, uh, compose in that style or for that kind of uh, ensembles then you probably that competition doesn't bring much to you yeah 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 and, and yeah I think you brought some really interesting brought some really interesting points and I think at the end of the day uh we have to understand what sort of uh, system we are subscribing to, right? In a way that, um, let's say when I was studying in music school, mm-hmm. okay, how the grading system in my school worked is, if you're above a 70, you're considered a first class. And then there's different brackets, right? So uh, in my year, it was a particularly uh, big cohort of euphonium players. So usually in our recitals, we're going to have maybe... Um, three to four people that hit above a 70, one of them will be really good and then they'll go like 80, right? Mm-hmm. That is very, very high. Uh, then there will be the rest of us, the remaining um, 
five or six. And it will be, we'll, we'll just be like right beside each other. So it'll be 68, 67, 66, 65, 64, 63, for example, mm-hmm. right? And uh, like, like you said, at the end of the day, does it mean that uh, the, the 63 is lesser musician than the, the others? Uh, maybe not, but because the system of a school requ- requires the people that are sitting in for the recitals to put us in a particular order, mm-hmm. right? That's just, yeah, that's just how things work. And yeah, so as long as I think we can come to terms with that, when you get a high score or a low score, it is uh, is directed at your work, not at you personally, then it's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think sometimes maybe these lines get a little bit blurred. But I think, yeah, de- definitely there, there are good and uh, good things that come away from uh, competition. And yeah, but but it, uh, in a way, it's, it's kind of unfortunate to hear that, uh, you know, your teacher w- came up and then said, oh, you know, actually they are looking for something in particular. And imagine if you hadn't ran this idea past your teacher and you send it in, then it's just like, you know, you you're not considered, but you actually realize that, yeah, it's something that, you know, it's, it's got nothing to do with your quality of your composition. But it's just that whatever you put in is not something that they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Right? Therefore, you don't get the, uh, the, the consideration. Yeah. So, so actually, I, I think, um, you know, it, it, it's, there, there's a lot of external factors uh when with regards to competitions or, or even uh gradings and exams and hmm. then what i feel that uh is that uh, one should just work to improve on uh, on the things that one can control and yes. and, and then uh don't take to heart uh, too much uh the things that you can't control and hmm. the, the uh, only thing that can't be um conferred or denied to you is uh your attainment your personal mm. ability, right? So, so yeah. if you have the skill, then you have it. It's it's yours. You um, uh, whether you get a prize for it or not, or not is is hard to say. Wise words, indeed. Oh, yeah, <laughs> very 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 good point. Yeah. Uh, so now let's uh, uh, talk about when when you first uh, maybe that wasn't your first uh, competition, but your first award when you were seventeen, right? When you submitted Sisters Island and you got the prize. Uh, tell us how long have you been working on the piece prior to the submission and uh, at the end of the day what do you attribute to the success that you had back then um, okay at the time I was studying in J2 so um, I actually um, yeah, I think I took about uh more more than six months um obviously you know i can't be working on the peaceful times because because i have studies and mm. uh for for those who are studying for for uh, a-, a levels uh, i um uh you should be studying for a levels and not trying to compose <laughs> something besides that uh, yeah. okay so um uh yeah um the, that piece was my first uh piece that's actually uh related to a Singaporean theme and uh that is uh partial credit partially credit is due to the MEP program so the music elective program uh 
uh, which uh, where at that time we were doing uh, music of the Malay archipelago. So we have uh, the Malay mm. dance music and also the Indian uh, Indonesian uh, gamelan music. And, mm-hmm. and I used those, uh, both uh, of those uh, elements in this uh, composition. So the Sisters Islands is, uh, is a story about the, uh, these uh, twin islands uh, south of Singapore. Uh, and, and the legend is that there was this uh, uh, Malay sisters, uh, Mina and Lina, who lived in a fishing village. And then uh, one day your pirates came and then uh, abducted the Lina to be his bride. And then so mm-hmm. Mina, the uh, elder sister, like swam after him, and then uh, then she drowned, and then the uh, sister, uh, the Lina, also jumped into the sea to draw uh, to uh, join her sister, and then uh, there was th- then this uh, tragedy angered the gods, and then who sent a huge wave that sent the uh, pirate ships uh, drowning also, and then this uh, where the sisters drowned, uh, the rose arose uh, twin islands, and they were called the sisters islands. Mm. Um, okay, so that so that means the story is a is a, uh, a Malay themed story because of the characters. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this was the first my first um, uh, Singaporean themed uh, piece. Actually, at that time, I didn't think a lot of about things like you know cultural identity or fusion or whatever. I just uh, composed whatever I, I thought was uh, sensible, and it turned out to be okay. Mm. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, very okay indeed. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, and and it has uh, been uh, and this this piece has been my most performed and most uh, arranged. Uh, and uh, one of the reasons is that also because it was uh, has been a, a, around a long time, and it was also one of the first uh, pieces to be in this uh, so called uh, Nanyang style. Um, mm. Yeah, and and then. Uh, um yeah if uh if i composed uh the, the same thing like 10 years later i, I don't know may, maybe it wouldn't have uh, evoked so much uh uh interest mm. yeah yeah can you give us an estimate on how many pieces you have written before sister's island uh if you can remember roughly before sister's islands um yeah, for assignments, for your own enjoyment. Um, yeah, since you started sort of like meddling with all the all the tinkling. <laughs> yes, yeah. I I don't know. May, maybe something like uh thirty. Thirty. Yeah, but it right. could be very short or simple pieces. You know that that is, uh yeah. So so uh, um I I ha- I don't really count the the number of compositions you know maybe i should start having an opus opus numbers or something <laughs> like that. yeah 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 mm. because i i think there is something there that although uh, people see that you maybe they only see like oh your first uh major work or your first work is the sister's island but actually you've been writing quite a bit of music over the years i mean 30 pieces for for someone that is in short, just sort of learning and uh, uh, if I say, if I may say at that point of time, a hobbyist or an amateur mm-hmm. to to have 30 pieces between that, I mean, could be short, doesn't matter because at least you are sort of like refining the way you are thinking about music and the way you are writing your music each time you put up a new piece. Whether you it's conscious or not, I guess, you are refining the process mm-hmm. and then at some point, people see the success, which is when you're awarded a prize, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, great. Uh, 
last question for you, right? How do you work through the days where you feel like unmotivated and uninspired to do anything that's related to your art? So I mean, I have many of these days, right? <laughs> uh, some, some of these days, I just open up my case and then I just like bring myself to practice and eventually it gets a little bit better. And do you have any uh, process that you go through for this? Um, okay, so for a career composer, um, a, a lack of inspiration is not an excuse. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> So so imagine you know you have there's a concert and there's a commission and and then after that uh, I I tell them uh say uh you you know what I I don't I have no inspiration to compose the piece then how about you, uh you know you change to another piece you know it's not <laughs> going to happen right there so yeah or you wait for me until I have inspiration yeah and then I'll give you something <laughs> yeah um, yeah and, and I mean it's likewise for musician that let's say uh you are you have you've got a concert tonight with uh co your quartet and and then mm. uh you say no to today I am not in the mood to play uh how about you the three of you play a trio while I get some beer to drown my sorrow <laughs> it's not possible right? don't, don't plant ideas in my head please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um um the uh as a musician okay so i i mean if you speak to yourself what what would you uh what would be your answer for for this if it's me yeah of course uh, if, uh when we we know that if there's a performance or there's a rehearsal we have to be there right regardless how tired we are we drag ourselves there anyway Mm. Uh, but you know, on a day that where we have freedom, where let's say the day is completely open, right? You have a choice whether you do your practice or you uh, stay into your computer for the next six hours. Yeah. So uh, for me, when I feel like I, I don't feel like working today, but I know I have to, uh, usually I just, the, the first step is to just bring the instrument off the case. And then just play something, and eventually, uh, don't think that I'm gonna do like I'm not thinking that I need to do a, like a two-hour session or a three-hour practice session. I'm just thinking, get the instrument out, uh, start playing, and let's see how it goes from here. And usually, uh, as we go along, thirty minutes in, then you'll find a little bit more uh, energy to carry on for however time, however much time you need to do what you need to do. Yeah, and and uh, uh, precisely so. I I I would say it's similar for a uh, composition also. Um, like we uh um um, there's a lot of processes, uh, technical processes in composition. Um, so actually, um, at any point in time, I should be able to, you know, let's say, develop a motif into a piece, or you know, write a, a you know, uh uh an accompaniment to a melody for example um and, mm. and regardless of wh whether i have inspiration or not and if i have inspiration that's a bonus but i can't be uh, uh relying on it so uh, for, mm. for inspiration we um i have to know how to create inspiration for myself you know i can't be just uh sitting around and waiting for it for, to fall from the sky so i'll, I'll research yeah. for, for about a topic you know if i don't know what topic it is i'll just randomly pick a topic you know let's say it's a uh, let's say maybe uh, uh let's try out the arabic uh, arab music or let's try uh, indian music uh you know or, or like uh, i go go on youtube and find some uh, uh you know indian percussion thing or something like that so mm. um 
um, because I, I know what are the things that can give me inspiration so uh, I can consciously choose to um, look out look for those things uh, and and uh, uh, yeah so that that means uh, the finding inspiration is uh, an active uh, rather than a passive uh, process um, then um, there's I I, I uh, attended this uh, master class by a Hollywood composer named Conrad Pope uh, when I was studying mm-hmm. in Vienna, and so he said, um, uh, uh, you know, like should if you have no inspiration, should you wait for inspiration? And he said, well, what you can do now might not be the best that you can do, but it's the best that you can do now. Yes. Yeah. So mm. um, yeah, if you uh. You can you have just have to think uh, okay you, you know you, you won't uh, if you wait for the uh, uh, inspiration to strike uh, then maybe it will maybe it won't but um, that is something that you can't uh, really uh, control and and then if you have a deadline coming up um, then you just have to do what's the best you can do right now mm. and and the, the yeah. most important thing is actually you you uh, complete the work in a presentable uh, standard by the deadline. You know, there's no point, uh, you know, to have a, a stroke of genius and 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 but the piece is not ready by the deadline. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you, know, you have a stroke of genius, but it's, it's in your head that that doesn't help very much. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Right. It's it's not put into uh, uh the work itself. Yeah. So yeah, thanks for this. Yeah, really, really good advice and very very helpful. And I really like um, that, that quote that you, you shared with us. Uh, what you do now might not be the best, but it is the best that you can do for now. I think that makes a lot of sense. Mm. Yeah. So uh, thanks, Chen Wei, for speaking to me. Uh, it's about time we wrap this conversation up. Uh, thank you so much for coming on to the show. I had a lovely time speaking to you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It was my great pleasure to... For those of you who are listening, if you want to learn more about Chen Wei's life and Chen Wei's work, you can always go on to his website, which is wangchenwei.wordpress.com. So that's uh, wordpress.com or his YouTube channel, youtube.com slash wangchenwei, the same spelling. All these links will be provided in the show description and as well as the podcast website. And thank you again. Uh, Chen Wei for taking time out to speak to me and I hope uh, the experience has been okay for you speaking to me yeah. <laughs> on this podcast yeah thank you thank you well, was uh, I, I was very pleased to speak to you um, and uh, uh, you came up uh, you, you asked a lot of uh, important questions that are close to the hearts of uh, musicians and composers I mean, that's the, the least I can do, right? I think, mm-hmm. you know, uh, speaking to, to someone like you with uh, so much experience and uh, with your, uh, and so much thought about some of the problems and uh, the common uh, daily struggles that we face as musicians, um, it's it makes, makes my job easy because, yeah, the thinking is done mostly by you guys. Yeah. So uh, thank you so much yeah, uh, once again. Thanks everybody for tuning in and staying to the end. yeah and exactly that thank you for listening and thank you for staying with us throughout this episode and most importantly thank you for your attention it is very much appreciated and with that we will sign off on this episode of you play or what bye bye you have been listening to you play or what hosted by vincent tan 
If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends if you feel so inclined. The theme music for the podcast is entitled Midnight Affairs and is composed by Algirdas Matonis and recorded by Vincent Tan. Thank you so much for listening to You Play or What? Until next time. Thank you.